I love a beautiful lawn. You love a beautiful lawn. Everybody loves a beautiful lawn, but they don't love how long it takes and how difficult it can be. And that is where True Green comes into play because it's the easiest and most affordable way to get that beautiful lawn. Let's be real. You've got plenty of other things to do in your free time than focus on your lawn care. So let True Green take care of all of that hard work while you get to do everything else that you want to do like go play golf. Here's what you need to do. Visit truegreen.com. Okay. It allows you to do you let them do the lawn care. And if you visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, that is all guaranteed. You can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. It's truegreen.com. Get started now. Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Greg Ducharme, joined today by Mark Immelman for our round one recap of the Workday Charity Open. Uh, very exciting stuff out there. We saw kind of some some really, really good scores out there like Kyle Morikawa, 7 under 65. And we saw some big numbers out there as well. Of course, it looked like it had a lot of teeth. So let's welcome to the show, uh, Mark. Mark, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, it was a hot day out in Ohio, I'll be honest with you. I'm They've had, they were telling me for the last 11 days in a row, breaking record temperatures. I mean, temperatures 90 plus, which is out of the ordinary for this place. And, and so the golf course dried out pretty fast. And it was, it was hard work out there, especially for a dude walking around with a microphone in his hand. You know, if you're 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder who was working harder. Um, you know, a guy who it didn't seem to be too much work for, a guy you like, a guy, I'm surprised you didn't pick him again this week. You went with Victor Hovland. and I kind of felt like it was maybe a, like a last second call. Like I looked at that pick you made between Hovland and Morikawa and a lot of people are probably in the same boat where it's like you're at a restaurant and the waiter or waitress asks you what you want and you're between two items on the menu and you just kind of pick one. And right now it looks like Colin Morikawa was the guy to go with here because he looked awesome. I know you're a big fan, Mark, but he gained 5.23 don't, not two four five point two three strokes ball striking, which is off the tee plus approach. That's per our very own Rick Gaiman. What did you make of that round today? From Cal Porter. Um, you, you know what? I, I'm trying to remember if did, did I go with him over our head to head games because I'm thinking in a one and done world, and I'd already used him. Yeah. Colonial. Oh so, yeah, that's a good point. So, so that's sort of why you know, I, I, I was I, I was reacting to. You know, the performance at the Travelers Championship, where he looked lethargic. I mean, you could see that run of cuts had sort of worn on him a little bit, I think. And I don't want to say he was relieved when the cut streak ended, but but I sort of got that sense. Now, don't quote me on that. And then he goes and takes a week off. And then he comes in here and he brings his instructor, Rick Sessinghouse, along. And if you come from a week off, when you're home, you know, taking a load off, working with your instructor, typically you think, okay, we should be good to go for the next little while. But Rick comes along. Uh, I catch up with him on the golf course today. And uh, I'm like, hey, Rick, how are you doing? And catch up, catch up. And he goes, well, the practice has been fantastic. And I was like, well, that's good news. I see him two and a half, three hours later, and he's boys eight under par or whatever it is. I'm like, 
dude, you've got the Midas touch, whatever you've done. And uh, really, the, he said there wasn't too much adjustment. It was just, you know, Colin just tightening up on a few fundamental things. And, and they, they stressed smart decision and smart shot making, which is one of the hallmarks to playing this golf course well, even in a receptive vein like it was today. And, and so apparently Team Marikawa did what they should because there was a heck of a run of golf in the afternoon. It was really impressive. I mean, 12 of 14 fairways, 14 of 18 greens, only one bogey out there on the 18th hole. I mean, he gained three and a half strokes approaching the green. This is, as we like to say, Colin Morikawa doing Colin Morikawa things. I mean, he is really establishing himself as one of the best, if not – I mean, he's right there. He's, he's in probably – well, probably is the wrong word. It definitely inside the top five best iron players on the PGA Tour. I put him in up there with, you know, Tiger, JT. Maybe he's out doing JT. Do you think he's better than JT in the iron in the iron play? I want to commend you, Greg, because I made that very statement on this forum to Kyle Porter and stuff. We doubled over laughing. This was before you know broadcast podcasts by the first cuts and everyone's like, whatever, Mark, you know, it's strokes, gain numbers, blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. But he is at his best. I would say, and this is with respect to Tiger, who hits a medium iron better than anybody in the history of the game. And that's even comparing Jack Nicholas. Jack was unbelievable with long irons. He had massive power. He sort of deconstructed a golf course, but iron could, uh, Tiger could just flush an iron, you know, unlike many. And Marikawa is the same way. He hits the middle of the iron every single time. The thing comes out in the windows you look for. When he flats one down, it's in an area. When he flats one up, you can see. And so he plays trajectory like the greats like Hogan. Um, he hits this gentle little fed that drops off the top of its flats. When there's a left hole location, he's comfortable enough to turn one in there. So he always plays off the middle of the green. So greens in regulation numbers go off the charts. Uh, I don't care what you're saying about strokes gained. If you hit it on 18 greens in regulation, you're going to have a pretty decent score. And he does this all of the time. And, and so I would, I would put him up there, if, certainly in the top five. I'd, I'd, I'd put him in the top three, if not the top two. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, and there's probably someone I'm missing, but I'm feeling like he's kind of a top three guy. And he's really the, – the thing for me that holds me back from making big statements like he's the best in the game is just the amount of time he's done it for. Tiger's been doing it for, you know, since 1996. And even before that, but on the PGA Tour since – 1996. So I give him a little bit more credit. Justin Thomas has been at it for a little bit, uh, uh, for quite some time now. So I give him a little more credit for that. The only thing holding Morikawa back in this is just simply time. And there's nothing he can do about it. But boy, he looked really good today. And the putter looked great today, too. And if I might add, too, you know, if you're comparing him to Justin Thomas, who I know Carl goes off on a lot, I mean, he's always saying JT this and JT that and Jordan this and Jordan that. Um, he is longer than Colin Marikawa. So if they are playing from the same yardage, there'll always be a one-club differential. So that means Marikawa's precision has to be that much sharper. Because as you know, with the, long, the longer the club gets in one's hand, the harder it is to control directionally and distance-wise. The longer the shaft gets, the harder it is to strike flush. And, and so you put Marikawa equidistant with any of these guys, even though they might be hitting shorter clubs, he will wear people out with his just with pure precision and consistency. It is, uh, it's extremely impressive to watch. And so we, while we enjoyed watching Callum Morikawa out there doing the things that he, we're kind of getting accustomed to watching him do. 
We also saw some things that were a little more puzzling, some things that maybe made you scratch your head. Uh, for instance, Brooks Kepka. What was going on with Brooks Kepka today? I mean, he went out in 41. He did come in in 33, so, so he got in at uh, 200 par for the day. He ended his first night with the six on 18. Uh, there were some really some big numbers out there. What, what did you see with Brooks today? Well, color me surprised because I was high on Brooks just because of what he had said to me. And, and I found it curious watching him in the early coverage on PGA Tour Live that the guys on there were like, well, he's missing on the left side of the target and he's missing on the left side of the target. He said to me, he goes, I want to miss on the left side of the target. The weak right is the one bothers me because he hits that hard power fade. So he needs to start at left. What was more um, bothersome to me was they were, the misses weren't just left, they were left and long. And there were certain places like long on 18 and you are cooked. I mean, you're never getting the thing up and down. You do well to keep it on the green from there, even though the greens were slower. And he makes double over there, but he did turn it around. And so, I mean, I, I want to sort of say it was a bit of an aberration, but I certainly was absolutely gobsmacked when I saw that performance by him over the opening nine holes. So just looking at some numbers here, right? He had six of 14 fairways. And when you're, when you're playing out of the rough out there, what did you notice uh, on the course? Is the rough really thick? Is that penal? Can that rough be grabbing the club and making a ball go long left? Or do you think it's, a, it's more to do with what he had going on with the golf swing? There's, there's no doubt that the rough is, more, is less punitive than it ordinarily would be in a memorial. And it's a little drier. It sort of seems less moist. I guess the term I would use, you know, that Kentucky bluegrass, it's a moist sort of a blade and the ball can nestle down and the stuff is heavy to hit through. So if you're a Woods or a VJ or one of these power guys, you can get a club through there. Um, but it, it had a little bit of a drier tinge to it, but there were spots where if you were in the rough, you were hacking out. Um, and it was just it's sort of in the three inch range. So you had to find fairways. And, and so for Brooks, if, if you're driving in the rough, you're playing defense, um, because the thing about the place, even though you get the ball onto the green, it's not a guaranteed two-putt in many situations. And if you get the ball above some of the hole locations, you're also playing a lot of defense. So it's just, a, you can make a score out of the rough here this week, Greg, but you're grinding, man. And it's hard work and it's, it's tiresome work. So uh, I think the key is to put the ball in play off the tee. Then you can play some, some aggressive golf. Yeah, and you can see it again. I mean, you, you use the word tiresome. Six of 14 fairways, as I said, 11 of 18 greens. And as you said, if the, you're on the green but out of position, it can be extremely – I mean, you're working hard. Just because you're on the green doesn't mean, you know, you have a, a par locked up. So it seemed like a really hard day for Brooks Kepka, uh, And he was – he lost strokes um, – or he lost strokes – putting he gained strokes around the green but he was three of seven in his scrambling so it was definitely a difficult day a hard working day for Brooks and we hope he can turn it around and kind of give us the action that he gave us on the second nine maybe for 18 holes tomorrow so we'll see but another player who didn't really look great and you talk about a guy who can get out of position every once in a while Phil Mickelson uh, it wasn't the best day for Phil Mickelson either. He got started early and we were saying, whoa, here we go again. Travelers championship all over again, but then a 41 on the back nine. What do you make of Phil's volatility of late? Well, we, I, I have to recognize, because I had his group today, that on nine, he had a beautiful iron in there from 150-ish down the hill to a tight flag, and he had probably about eight feet for birdie to turn in five under and the lead. 
and that wiggles low, and then he makes a decent par on a 10, doesn't take advantage of 11 or 5, and 12 where the hole was cut, it was easy to make four. But to back that up with bogeys on 13 and 14, 13 out of the rough, 14 from the middle of the fairway, that was a cardinal sin to me, and I bounced back with the birdie on 15, and then the double on 16, it was mercurial, I would say, but the thing about it is, he looked like he was swinging pretty well. He was hitting quality shots. I mean, he hit a drive down 17, which is a tough driving hole, and he blasted the thing down there. And he had like 81 yards on a 460-yard par four. So the, the signs, the makings are there. I, I, I was just really perplexed by that runner golf 13-14. Um, and so he comes back in 41 off, and I think tomorrow morning, there is enough good in there for him to turn it around and get this thing back under par. And, and, and the beauty about it is it doesn't look like scoring is getting away. So if you can get to three or four under tomorrow and then put in a weekend, you're still in with a shot. Yeah, you know, I, I look at Phil and I think when I look at this round just on the scorecard, right, I wasn't watching as closely as you were, obviously. But Phil is a momentum, he's a momentum style player. And when he goes out in 32 on the first nine the way that he did today, Right, he goes out and nearly, I mean, he nearly shoots 31 on the front side. It's fantastic play. He's making birdies. Uh, even when he misses fairways like he did at, uh, at number six, I believe it was, he's still able to make fours. So, so things are going really well for Phil, and he's feeling good. And then all of a sudden he turns, and there's some maybe aggressive play, maybe a little bit over-aggressive on a couple shots on the back nine, like maybe 14 is a little over-aggressive, going kind of long right of that green, maybe not the best place to be. So I wonder if he was feeling good, and then he just kind of got on the wrong side of some things on the second nine. What do you think? 14, he got gusted a little bit. Uh, coming down the backside, the bad shots he hit, the one was 12, where the hole was cut on 12. You had to be absolutely precise with shape and the distance you hit the ball, given where the hole was cut back right and their bunkers short and left. He hit it in the left bunker, and from there you cocked. So four was a bogey was on. But then on 14, he's in the middle of the fairway and hits a ball that looked good, and all of a sudden the wind just fell out. of The, the wind died, and just the ball went through the back of the green. So it, it, was, it, it wasn't over-aggression by me. It's just on the backside some... There were little gusty breezes out there. We saw Jordan Spieth get one or two hard bounces on green. So it's like the golf course became kind of what we're used to, swirling winds, firm greens, punitive rough. And, and I think he just fell foul to that. I certainly don't feel like it was um, over-aggression. Now in 16, um, after both Cantlay and Spieth have gone with seven iron, and Spieth has bounced one through the back, Cantlay sort of drop kicks a seven iron in there close. Phil went with eight iron. Now that's sensible. But the whole cut back left, which was kind of a Sunday flag, you go right in the middle center right of the green and you put it on the green two-putt and go. But he took on the whole location, hit it in the water, makes double. So maybe there, but the rest of the time, I think it was just kind of rub of the green. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, the golf course clearly has some teeth and it's difficult, as you mentioned. Scores not necessarily getting away. So a couple under par tomorrow, you could see a Friday run out of Phil and get himself back in the mix. Uh, but he's definitely going to have some work to do. Some disappointing bogeys, some you know, uh, some mistakes that maybe just didn't go his way out there. It sounds like so great stuff there. Now, uh, lots more to get to, including the big cat. When we get back to Memorial next week, the real deal Memorial here at Muirfield Village, uh, Tiger Woods is going to be joining us, and I know we're all excited about that. So we'll talk about that and more. But first, let's take a break and hear a word from our partners. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back. Um, Mark, as I said, we're going to get into a little bit of Tiger Woods here. But first, UFC 251 or better, uh, it's better known as the UFC Fight Island, is set to have arguably the biggest of the year. And the State of Combat podcast has you covered. Brian Campbell and UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans already, uh, they, they already gave you a full preview on Monday's podcast. But that's not all BC has for you. He sat down with Max Holloway uh, and, and Thug Rose ahead of their fights on Saturday on Wednesday's bonus interview and expert picks podcast. Following the event Saturday, uh, be. BC will be there to give you a full instant reaction for UFC 251. The State of Combat podcast is available anywhere podcasts are found. You don't want to miss it. Mark, I don't know if you're into the UFC at all, but it is uh, exciting stuff. Dude, Sug Rose, that might be the best name in all the sports. <laughs> That's cool. Sug Rose. Cool. It's, it's uh, let's just say, fitting. So very exciting stuff. Uh, but in the game of golf, we have Tiger playing at Memorial. He's back, a place he's won five times. We last saw him at the Genesis Invitational in February, and it didn't go so well over the weekend there. Um, but it did look like at the match 2.0 with Phil, it went a little bit better. What do you make of, of Tiger playing Memorial? Are, are you favorable on his chances next week? I'm surprised he didn't play earlier. I really am. I mean, we were on this podcast sort of opining when he might go, and I thought he'd play in the first few events, and that was poo-pooed, and then all of a sudden his boat was floating up the coastline. And everyone thought he was going to make it to Hilton Head and Arbor Town, which didn't happen. So I'm surprised he hasn't gone. Um, it, to me, he looked good at the match, but the match is one round. Um, and you're playing at your home course. He, the last time he was out at Genesis, he looked a bit ragged. And then we found out he was injured. And then he doesn't play in the players in Bay Hill. Um, Bay Hill has been a happy hunting ground for him. So it speaks to injury. So I, I have to believe that all of this time off was to get fully healthy. And uh, so I'm, I'm guessing the body must be good. I'm guessing the mind must be clear. Um, he's coming to a golf course where he's had a lot of success. But the truth of it is, he's going to be lining up against the PGA Tour's Glitterati, who have been playing, who are running fits. Um, so, you know, does he win? He's Tiger and he's capable of anything. But I'm just, I'm keen to see how it holds out because the one thing about the Memorial, it's always in like major championship conditions. And in a major championship, to me, you're largely playing on a knife edge. You know, it, it, everything's a grind. You hit a shot, it, it might go one way or the other. And so you've got to be mentally acute, which he is. But you've got to be able to hit the ball the right distance, which is something different under pressure to what it is in practice. So trajectory con control is crucial. And then at Memorial, that rough is going to be thick and the greens are going to be firm. And these greens, the whole golf course is kind of being redone right after the event. So... The, the PGA Tour staff are going to get the mandate to allow this place to brown out a little bit. And they're going to let the golf course, you know, get out of control some and not out of control, but just get firm. 
So uh, for a guy who hasn't played competitive golf under pressure for a long time, that's a pretty tough road to hoe. Not saying yeah. you can't do it, but it's a, it's a big deal. And, and, and playing, having played under pressure for a while, I think would certainly benefit one. Yeah, you'd think with Tiger, he look, he, I mean, he's handled pressure so many times. Is it like getting out of bed? Well, maybe, but what you mentioned that knife edge, you have to be really precise. You have to be really dialed in with your numbers. You have to be basically spot on. That's what it's asking for. And the question is, I mean, Tiger is certainly capable of, of arriving in that kind of form. He showed us that at the Zozo last year, and he showed us hints of that at the, at the match um, this year with Phil at Medalist. I, now that's his home course, yes. Uh, there are a lot of things that are a lot easier about the match than this, but he did look healthy. He looked fit. He looked ready to go. And if Tiger shows up dialed in, all those things you mentioned that are challenges, that are difficulties – are benefit they, they become benefits so tiger while while the golf course may be on a knife edge and what kind of um the way that you score is on a knife's edge tiger's game is on a knife's edge too if he comes in ready to go it all suits him perfectly and it's exactly what tiger needs to get a win if his game is lacking in one area he's missing his distance control well then all of a sudden all that hurts him and it can go you know, you're, you're on a, on a rooftop here. You can go one way to a win and one way to um, a miss cut pretty quickly. So I'm very interested to see what happens uh, with, with Tiger next week. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch, but it's great to have him back. Well, there is no doubt that certain golf courses just fit your eye, whether they're playing firm or soft or whether there's lots of rough or there isn't. And you don't win at a place five times if you're uncomfortable there. And you don't stumble your way to five victories. Um, I can sort of maybe understand one when things go your way for a week. But it's, it's a really happy hunting ground for him. And that's really, to me, something that, that could really play in his favor. You get there, you, you reminisce over shots, you're feeling good. If the game's there and he's in the, hitting the ball like he should, then all of a sudden you get going on. And then it's just like back in the saddle kind of deal. So... Um... Yeah, I think you're spot on, Mark. I think it's great analysis there. I, I want to get into, I want to get back to the workday here. And I want to get into some, um, you know, why you're listening. We want to help you make some money this weekend. So we're going to go through some of the plays for tomorrow, for Friday, based on the statistical model. So if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that many of us are, are engaged. And what kind of statistical model have you been kind of going through for the week and is that going to project to a, a great round the next day or not so mark i'm going to go through some of these names some of the statistics here i know how you are on the statistics so i want to just see if anybody pops out at you and if there's anyone that you're kind of very favorable with so favorables and the plays that we generally really like here would be a Corey connors he gained 4.15 strokes uh t to green he lost three putting He's still right there in the mix. Jason Kokrak was positive strokes gained T to green, gained a, a stroke and a half, and he was three point he lost three point three four on the greens. I was a fan of Kokrak coming in because of his T to green play, but it didn't go so well on the greens. Maybe tomorrow's a better day. Uh, Patrick Reed gained four point seven five strokes T to green, and he lost one point. One six putting Rory Sabatini's right there. Jacob's boy, uh, 4.23 uh, T to green, losing uh, a little bit over a stroke putting. We got Louis Ustase, and he's also positive T to green, gained 5.16 and lost a stroke putting. And then we have some guys that were kind of the other way. A Maverick McNeely, he gained three and a half on the greens, lost three and a half 
tee to green. Denny McCarthy gained over three putting, lost nearly four tee to green, and Jim Furyk gained 2.44 putting to 4.88 tee to green. Mark, in that group, does anybody stand out to you as someone you definitely want to play for tomorrow's round or anybody you want to kind of fade? I'm going to go with King Louis. Um, he's, he's, he's won one major championship, but he's finished runner-up in every other one. And yeah. Village is a major championship-style golf course. And if you're gaining 5.16 strokes, that tells me that apparently stuff's working out. He shoots 68 in round one. Um, losing a stroke putting, you know, that can be a couple, three, one or two, um, five, six-footers missed. So that doesn't speak to a real problem with a putter to me either. That could just be like, okay, one or two misreads, which I did see a lot of today because the greens were stimping at about 11 and a half, where typically at this event, at the memorial, I should say, not this event, they, they're around the 13 and a half mode. And then you catch one of those downhill, it's like 15 or so. So all of these guys that have played here often, they have that autopilot sense in the back of their mind going, I've hit this putt before. And then you get over it and it's so hard to commit to the fact that, hold on, this thing's going to not be as fast. And so I saw a number of guys hit putts that were tracking and then just sort of nosedive late. And it looked like they just were missing about a foot and a half's worth of pace, which is the difference between what it normally is. So that, that could have been some of the issues for Louis. So I, I'm going to go with Oesthausen on this one. I think I think he's a great pick, and I like picking Louis too because I just love watching him play. One of my favorite players to watch that swing is sweet, and you see those numbers, and they definitely back it up. The guy that sticks out to me, and he jumps off the page to me, is Patrick Reed. The reason for this is it, it's a, kind of the reverse of a typical Patrick Reed model. He's typically not gaining like that yeah, strokes gained T to green 4.75 T to green is a lot for Patrick Reed in one round and he loses 1.16 on the greens. The thing that I love about Patrick Reed is that's it, that's atypical. It's the reverse model. So it tells you he's hitting it really well. And the likelihood of the putting coming back is a little bit higher because his DNA as a player is a great putter. And as Mark alluded to, you know, maybe uh, maybe the greens are a little bit different pace than you expect. Maybe your read and your stroke aren't quite matching up the way they normally do. And that could take a player like Patrick Reed one night to kind of regain that confidence and jump out for tomorrow. So Louis Ustazen, Patrick Reed are your best plays for tomorrow. Um, so Mark, any final thoughts for me? I'm going to add something to the Patrick Reed observation, which I like of yours. He played this afternoon, so he's out tomorrow morning. Yeah, huge. A bit slower in the afternoon because the grass grows. I mean, there's a, a, a news flash. Um, they do get a bit firmer in the afternoon, but the greens will slow down. So tomorrow morning, early, you know, greens with less traffic on them. Um, that, that uh, I think Patrick Reed is also a good shot because we know he can putt it. And maybe yeah. the greens in the morning, he can get busy. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. So um, that's where we are. You know where to find us. And we're going to be covering this event at, after every round as we've been doing since the restart. So make sure you join us right back here tomorrow night. Same time, same bad time, same bad station. Uh, and also Saturday and Sunday we'll be joining you as well. So uh, make sure you stick around for all the action of the Workday Charity Open. Uh, I'm Greg Ducharme. You can get me on Twitter at TheRealGFD. That is Mark Immelman. You can get him on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. Thank you so much for watching if you're on YouTube and, and listening if you're, if you're in the car. So we appreciate you joining us and supporting the show. That's all we have for you tonight. We'll see you next time.
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 